well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. We're finishing up this series today that we've called Created for Good. We've been walking for the last several weeks through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. In our Bible, it's called Ephesians. We started this series all the way back on April 18th. It feels like we've been here for a good little while, and we have. But this letter is so profound because this letter is Paul's revelation. It's his apocalypse of what the gospel is all about. And we spent a lot of time walking through this letter, looking at the different aspects of what the gospel is all about. It is about our sins being forgiven, but it's more than that. It's uh, It's about this idea, this plan that God has had all throughout time of building this giant family that's filled with people of all tribes, tongues, and nations. That, that's really the revelation that Paul has, is that the gospel is for everybody, not just for Israel, but it's God's call to redeem the entire world and to call the entire world back to Him. And it's a, it's a really profound letter. And then we looked in chapter 4 where we looked at you know, who God calls us to be as part of this new creation. What does it mean to be a new human? And then in chapter 5, we hit it in a, in a couple of different ways, of the ways that we looked at the family, but also this idea of light versus darkness, old versus new, and the ways that God has called us to be children of light. And now he's going to close the letter to Ephesus. And it's really, the, if you remember the letter to the Ephesians, because they were probably the first church to read it, and then they were going to pass it on. And Paul could have picked anything to close his letter with. I mean, he had at, at his disposal a lot of different ideas that he could have used to tie up this letter. And we know that probably over a period of weeks and months, they they edited this thing to get it perfectly the way they wanted it to be. And so it's no accident that what he closes with is battle language. Because he wants to remind us that we're in a battle. We are in a fight every day. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. The battle that we're in every day for our unity. It's been one of the main themes running throughout the letter to the Ephesians, is unity. God is building this big family. He's calling all of his children back home. And what happens when you get a bunch of people who have different backgrounds and experiences and ethnicities all together under the same roof? You're going to have a lot of disagreements. And the call of the gospel is a call to unity. And so he's going to tell us we must fight for our unity. Let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10 and read through verse 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand and having, excuse me, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all 
to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put the, pl- the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Wow, there is so much packed in there and we just don't have time to unpack it all. So I hope you'll do some studying later on. But here's a couple of takeaways that I see in this text. Number one, Paul tells us we are in a battle. It is a fight. It is a battle that is going on all around us, and it's happening every day. It is a fight for our unity. It is a battle for our morality. It is a battle for light. These are all the themes that are coming out through this letter, and we are fighting for it. And here's the deal. There is no neutral ground or neutral positions in this battle. You can't say, well, I'm just not going to join the battle. I'm not going to fight. If that's the stance you take, You have actually chosen a side, and it's not the side that God is on. You have chosen, through your desire to be neutral, to be opposite and to oppose God. And so there is no neutral ground in this battle. But also this battle requires us to take active, aggressive resistance. The word that he uses over and over and over again is stand, stand, withstand. It's the idea of dig your feet in and resist. Now there's a lot of ideas about is he talking about being more offensive in nature or defensive in nature. Either way, the call is to take a stand and it requires aggressive uh, aggressive resistance. He's calling us to stand. And it's a call to stand together. And I hope you'll understand this about his call to, to put on the armor and this call to fight. Please understand this. The battle for our souls has already been won. That was all taken care of through Jesus giving his life on the cross. The battle for our souls has been won. But the battle for our unity, it's still going on every day. It's going on right now. And we must fight aggressively to stay united. We are in a battle, folks. But the second takeaway is that humans are not the enemy. Humans are not the enemy. He says in verse 12, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Now I hope you'll understand this. What he says is there are active forces in the spiritual realm. Paul's going to lay out for us, and we've talked about this, that there's the spiritual realm and the earthly realm, and they sort of intersect and overlap just a little bit. And that's kind of what we find ourselves in in the kingdom, is in the now but not yet. We kind of live in this in-between time, this in-between age, where uh, the current age and the age to come have kind of intersected a little bit, and that's where we experience the church and we experience God and all kinds of things. And so he talks about that there are two different realms, the spiritual realm and the earthly realm, and they're intersecting all the time. And there's a battle that's taking place in this unseen realm. It's happening all around us. And there are forces at play here. In fact, he names them. He says they are rulers and authorities, and he could very well have human institutions on his mind. But he also says that there are spiritual forces of evil. There is wickedness in the heavenlies. There is a battle going on all around us that we cannot see. There are forces at play that Paul has in mind that we cannot see, but that are actively working 
against God's desire to reunite all of his humanity. And if you've ever wondered, why, why is there so much division in our world? It's because of these forces. It's because there are beings, there are institutions, there are societies who, through their own ability or through the manipulation of other powers around them, are working against unity. Why is there so much violence, hostility? It's because of what Paul calls the powers. And chapter 6 is not the first time that he's mentioned them. He mentioned them in chapter 1. He mentioned them where he talks about how Jesus has been elevated over the powers. He's reigning above all of the powers. And how did God defeat the powers? He did it in a way that they never saw it coming. He defeated the powers through the death and crucifixion and resurrection of the Messiah. Where the powers thought they were winning by putting the Lord to death, they actually sealed their own defeat when he walked out of the tomb three days later. It was all a part of God's plan. And God has sat Jesus at his right hand and he's reigning over all, including all of those rulers and authorities. That's what you read about in chapter 1. You read about in chapter 2 how there's this prince of the power of the air. You read about in chapter 3 how the church witnesses against these powers. You read about in chapter 4 where don't give any kind of foot place or placeholder in your life to the devil, the slanderer, the enemy. And then in chapter 6, he talks about how we're not fighting against each other. Humans are not the enemy. The enemy are those powers, those spiritual forces, those human institutions that are being manipulated, that are being coerced into creating division, and hostility, and violence, and hatred. And we see it every day, don't we? We see it on the news. We've seen it in our, we see it in our own city. We can even see division in our own church. This is all the work of these forces, these powers. And the problem that we run into sometimes is that we confuse the enemy. When we think the enemy is another human being, we are not fighting against the true enemy. When we convince ourselves that the enemy is God's people, God's creation then we can't fight that true battle against the true enemy. We are so distracted that we can't see who is truly causing so much destruction and violence in our world. And their attacks are all the time. They're rampant. In fact, Paul calls them flaming arrows of the evil one. They're, it's just a constant barrage of attacks being leveled at God's covenant community. And we're going to talk about in a minute how we resist that. But what you need to understand is that these attacks, well, they're all the same thing, but they look a little bit different. It's all lies, but they're all different in how this lie is being sold. So here's a couple of ways that I see these lies being levied against God's covenant community. Ways that we see in our culture the attacks of these powers that are at bay, that are influencing all of those around us, institutions, governments, societies, ideologies. Here's a couple ways that we see it. I think we see it in the elevated rise of individualism. This idea that it's all about me. It's about my desires and my wants. I need to build my own brand. I need to do whatever I want and whatever will satisfy me and make me happy because it's all about me. And we see that all around us, this rise of individualism. And my guess is we can even see it within us because we're all naturally selfish. And here's where the lie comes in. The lie from culture is that you need to do what you want to do. 
Do what will make you happy. You come up with your own truth. You are your own judge. But that's not true. Because all you got to do is scroll through news feeds. Get on Facebook News. Get on Apple News. Get on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. It doesn't matter. Get on E! People, all these magazines, and what do you see? People who are being judged for decisions that they have made. Now, wait a minute. I thought it was about the individual. Whatever you want to do, you have a right to do. That's not the case. It's really not about you. It's a lie that you're being sold so that you will plunge further and further into your own destruction. Because what God has told us in His Word is that when you seek to be your own God, He will very well let you become that. And it will result in your own violence, destruction, division, and isolation. I think we see it in digital platforms where we're trying to find our own self-worth. You see it in people who find their worth in who they are online and building an online brand and building an online identity. And their self-worth comes through the number of reactions and positive vibes and good comments and all of that that comes into who they are as an individual. I think that's something that's a lie being sold from these spiritual forces. I think we see it in what we are experiencing in our country of not just division, but political factionalism, where it's not just that we have different ideas, because that's what our country was founded upon, but when it becomes factions where this group of people is not only against this group of people, but we're working actively against one another in, hate, in hateful ways and in vilifying ways, and we're constantly looking to tear down rather than truly seek greater understanding and greater truth and have a greater experience. I think we see just in our current political climate of the hatred and the hostility that's experienced in our country, this, folks, don't miss it, is the work of the enemy. I think we see it as, as many of us can find ourselves exploited through digital consumerism, this idea that I just need to have more. Whatever I get, I, I'm never satisfied with it for long. It's something that I struggle with, of wanting new, wanting more, wanting the next thing. And it's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie thinking that, oh, this will make you happy. This will be the one that satisfies all your wants. No, it doesn't. It's just a lie. It's all a lie from the enemy. Folks, we need to get our eyes back on who the true enemy is. It's this powers that Paul refers to. That is the enemy that we're fighting against. But here's the third takeaway from this text. You cannot fight this battle alone. If you try to fight this battle alone you will lose. When Paul calls us to put on the armor of God, don't read that as you individually finding your helmet and sticking it on your head and finding that breastplate of righteousness and putting it on yourself. It's not an individual charge. It's a communal charge. The armor is our armor. It's y'all put on the armor. You remember Paul's, one of his favorite metaphors in talking about God's people? It's the body. We all come together and we all form one body. So when God says, when Paul says, put on the helmet, it's not me individually, it's us collectively putting on the helmet of salvation. It's us collectively taking up our shield of faith because we were called to fight this battle together. And I don't know everything that Paul has on his mind when he's laying out these pieces of armor. I, I definitely think he's got maybe a Roman warrior in his mind, but he's definitely got Israel's divine warrior that you read about in Isaiah because every one of these pieces of armor comes from 
Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah. So he's definitely got Israel's divine warrior on his brain. But I think he's got a little bit of the Roman warrior in his mind too because of something he says about the shield of faith. He says about the shield of faith, take it up that you can protect yourselves from the fiery darts of the evil one. The cool thing about the shield, the Roman shield, was that it was a little bit longer on one side than it was on the other. With most, pe- most people being right-handed, it was most likely longer on the left side than it was on the right side. So in your right hand, you had the ability to carry a smaller sword for aggressive offensive attacks. And then in your left hand, you could hold the shield and it would curve around your body, overlap over your body a little bit, but it would have a little bit of a gap right here. So it was a little bit of a vulnerability on the right side, but you were protected on the left side so that you could be offensive as well as defensive. Well, what was really cool was when you would have this unit of Roman soldiers, they would bring all of their shields together and form what was called the tortoise shell. They had a different word, a, a, a Roman word for it, but I'm not going to try to pronounce it for you. It was basically the tortoise shell is what it meant. Because where my armor had a gap, where my shield had a gap, your armor overlapped. And when we brought all of our shields together, we could create this impenetrable force And they would put them, as you can see in the picture, over the top and along the sides. And what they would do is, as a unit, they would walk together and march right into the hostility. And they would walk walk right up to the most fortified position. But because they were completely protected, they could overtake almost any position. There was not much that could take out one of these tortoise shells. And it was a very destructive and effective way for them to march. And I don't know if this is what Paul has on his mind. It's just what... What I have found that I find really fascinating, if it is, when we take up our shield of faith, the idea is that we overlap each other. We protect each other. Because we're called to take this up together. We're called to fight together. To stand together with the shield of faith. And we must take our shield and protect one another. Overlap each other so that where I'm vulnerable, you're strong. Where you're vulnerable, I'm strong. And together, as one body, we march toward God, fighting off all of the attacks of the evil one. Because don't miss it. We're under attack. There is a siege taking place against God's people. There is a battle going on every day. So how do you fight back? How do you resist the attacks of the evil one, of these spiritual forces? There's a couple of ways. Understanding that everything that the enemy is lobbing at us is filled with lies and deception. I think we fight back with truth-filled minds and hearts. That's what Jesus did. You remember when he was in the wilderness and he was being tempted by Satan and Satan is lobbing all of these lies at him and Jesus responds with the truth of God's word? The way that we live with truth-filled minds and hearts is that we saturate our minds with the truth of God's Word, His will for our life, and in this spiritual community that we find ourselves in, that we spend time talking about God's Word and God's will for our life. We weren't meant to just read it on our own. It was meant to be done in community. That's why uh, our worship time is so important. That's why our Bible class times are so important. That's why our small groups are so important. That's why it's important for you to have people at your home or meet them at a restaurant and not just shoot the breeze, but... Talk about what you're studying in God's Word. Bounce ideas off of them. Talk about what you're studying and understanding as a group because we're called to do this together. It's all about us fighting together. We do that with truth-filled minds. We also do it with consistent prayer and supplication. 
It's one of the weapons that God has given us to resist. And there are going to be people who are going to get wounded in this battle. There may be people here today who are wounded in this battle that we are fighting. And you find yourself kind of dragging yourself here. You've been beaten down and worn down by the attacks of the enemy. Maybe you find yourself kind of distant from God's people or distant from God himself. And you're outside of his refuge. You're outside of his covenant community. And you feel like the evil one is just coming after you from every side because... The powers are. That's exactly what they're trying to do. We are called to pray for each other. To pray for God to help us fight and to pray for our wounded. That's the idea of supplication. We will lift you before God, the great healer, and ask Him to heal you of the spiritual wounds that you have suffered in your life. And pray that you will come back to this covenant community, this faith family, this army of God's people so that we can gather together as one body, wearing the armor that God has given us, marching straight into hostile territory, marching towards God, doing His will. We must pray for each other. And then the third thing that we're called to do is we're called to live with bold proclamation and kingdom living. Remember, Paul says, pray for me that I might speak boldly. We need to pray for each other that we'll speak boldly. And then we'll live boldly in the kingdom. Because in the kingdom, all of our values are flipped upside down. What culture says is valuable in the kingdom, it's, it's in the opposite order. Our culture says it's all about me first. The kingdom says no, it's about others first. Our culture says it's about living out of fear because you can't trust people. The kingdom says no, live in love. Trust and love and forgive even when that trust is broken. Culture says give in to your desires. Whatever you want, you should, you should chase after it. kingdom says... Control your desires. You're more than that. You're greater than that. All of our values are flipped on their head in the kingdom. And the way that we resist is boldly proclaiming our allegiance to King Jesus and living boldly in his kingdom. And can I share with you two other ways that we resist? And they're things that we, one of these we do every week, and one, many of us have already done this in our life, and maybe somebody will desire to do this today. Back in the first, second, and third centuries, when they would baptize someone, one of the things that, they would, that the person being baptized would proclaim is that the powers, these spiritual powers, no longer have a hold on their life. Paul talks about in Romans 13, he says, put on the armor. It's very similar in language. And then at the very end, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we know based on Galatians 3 that to put on is baptism language. He's using baptism language when he says put on the armor, put on Jesus Christ. How do you put on Christ? It's through baptism. And what is he saying? He's saying when you're baptized into Christ, you are proclaiming your allegiance to King Jesus. You're saying, I'm changing sides. I am fighting with the King. I am going to the victor's side. And I am joining my King, my Savior, my Messiah in battle. And they would make a verbal proclamation that they were turning their back on the powers of this world and turning their allegiance toward Jesus. And I know we don't do that. We profess our faith in Jesus, but I hope we at least see the connection here that it is a bold proclamation not only to the world, not only to each other, but to those spiritual forces of evil. I don't belong to you anymore. I belong to King Jesus. Wow. What a way to, to boldly proclaim your allegiance. It's where your sins are washed away. It's where you're added to the church. It's where you experience salvation. And it's where you proclaim allegiance to the true king. But the second way that we boldly proclaim 
uh, our allegiance to Jesus, we're going to do here in just a moment. In just a few minutes, we're going to grab that little piece of cracker. I think it's cracker. It is cracker, right? We're going to grab that little cracker and that little juice, and we're going to partake of those elements. And when we do that, we are boldly proclaiming to the powers, I still belong to Christ. I'm still a child of God. We're remembering the death of Jesus. We're remembering His burial and resurrection. We're partaking of that together. We're doing all of that. And we're proclaiming to the world, we're proclaiming to the powers who we belong to. So today, where's your allegiance? How you doing in your fight? Are you worn down? I want to remind you of something that Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Phenomenal text where he says, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? It's tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Is that going to separate you? And look at what he says. As, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Maybe that's the way you feel. You walked in here and you just feel like you're a sheep led, led to be slaughtered. You're just seeing all of this violence and wickedness all around you and it's just wearing you down. You wonder how much longer, God, and, and you feel like you're being taken out by the enemy. Look at what he says. No, 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 no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded, I am sure, I am convinced, so much so that He is willing to put His life on it, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, here's some of our themes, nor present things, nor things to come, nor those powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of God's creation could ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling worn down, what you need is the love of God in Christ Jesus. And you can experience that today. If you're ready to proclaim Jesus as your Lord and be baptized into Christ, if you have wandered from the family of God and you found yourself outside of God's refuge and you're ready to come back and rejoin this family of faith so that we can continue to march in hostile territory toward God, living in the kingdom, living the way that He's called us to, banding together to continue to take a stand for truth and for Christ and for our King, we want to call you back home today. God is calling you through his gospel. If we can help you in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing?